And my guest this week is Willem Petzer, who is a, a farmer, a YouTuber, and recently an activist. So, Willem, uh, welcome to Verity. Good to have you. Thank you very much. No, no, the pleasure is all mine. So, Willem, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your, your activism. You have taken quite a strong stance on, on farm murders, and I understand that you have, uh, unfortunately, you have personal experience of this. Uh, will you be able to detail about, uh, well, to my listeners at least, what experience you have uh, with uh, farm murders? Well, yes, uh, between my family and close friends, I can count nine people who have been killed in such farm attacks, and uh, my family itself, my great-uncle and great-aunt, as well as my uncle, were attacked on their farm, and uh, my uncle's throat was slit, and he, well, he didn't die at the farm attack, but he um, had severe losses and so, and then later just, he died of it, but his life was never the same for the for the few months after that. And then my um, my great uncle and aunt were both basically tortured to death on that night for six hours. And then the attacker took their own blood and then he scripted uh, 666 white devil on the walls of their farm. So uh, farmhouse. So yeah, that's pretty bad. And I think that motivates me to do what I do. And I can understand why. Has there been any prosecutions um, associated with any of those attacks you mentioned? Yeah, one of the one of the guys got three life sentences. The guy that actually carried it out, but some of the guys just got off because they just claimed no, they were they were just there and so forth. Like many of the farm murders, where people just say no, they were forced to partake or um, no, they were just there or whatever. So yeah. At least one of the guys got a um, was sentenced by the judge. All right. And w- were there any reasons given for for the level of brutality for your great aunt or great uncle, for example? Um, yeah, basically the guy just said that he hated white people. So that's that's basically the reason I believe that uh, yeah, that's what he gave. All right, so, so what reason, you're about to say, what reason were you going to say? Yeah, I, 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 wanted, I just wanted to say I believe that in, in many or most of these farm attacks, that is a reason. Um, and it's not just against white people, it's also against Indians and Chinese and so forth. The last farm attack that we had last night was actually against an Indian family where it was an elderly uh, Indian couple that was attacked and the woman was... Uh, gagged and then tied to a bed and basically strangled to death. I don't know all the details of what happened there, but that's basically what happened last last night. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, farm attacks are, are quite an emotive topic, and I understand. So, from my side, personally, I think it is a class of crime that needs special attention. Uh, the statistics... A lot of people have different statistics. Someone like Africa Czech says you cannot have statistics. Um, But I think there is a real problem with farmers or people on farms, which includes farm workers, visitors to that farm, etc., being attacked. Do you, uh, through your research, you you do YouTube videos and the like, I mean, what, what are your feelings about the reasons for such farm attacks, perhaps? 
Well, as I said, it's it's mostly hatred uh, from people that believe that they are um, victims of some co- kind of, um, how do you say it, uh, inequalities here in South Africa because that's what's being perpetuated all the time to, to them, that they are being treated unequal and they don't have any land and then they go out and they kill the people who have land because they believe it's the right thing to do. What evidence do you have for that claim, though? The testimonies in court almost every single time. I think if you go read through these, those testimonies, you will see exactly the same thing. All right, because I mean, there was a study done, I think, in 2003, where they studied this um, particular crime. And the overwhelming majority was about robbery. And robbery, to me, does make sense to a large degree. Uh, the farmer... Before you butt in, if I may, the farmer is is seen to be rich, whereas we know that's often not the case. Uh, but there is often there's often weapons there. There's often perhaps cash in the safe. Perhaps there's other valuables. It doesn't explain the torture. It doesn't explain the violence. But robbery seems like a plausible motive. Well, um, not really to me because I. I'm using the Transvaal Agricultural Union statistics, which is the most conservative statistics that we have. Every single attack that they document is backed by court files, police cases, and um, uh, articles in the media. And there we saw that less than 30% of farm attacks have any robbery. More than 90% of farm attacks involve a lot of torture so why would you torture a person for five six hours if you are there to rob him i mean if you rob people you go there you want to steal as quickly as possible and get get out of there as quickly as possible and the other thing is one of the um and this is well documented the the photo that i put it on twitter of the guy that had a military signal jammer in his backpack now that military signal jammer that he had in his backpack was worth more than the, all the things that are in the average farmer's house. So why would you go rob someone with a, with a signal jam like that? That, that just doesn't make sense. If, if you can just go sell that signal jammer if you're poor and you're hungry and you need money because that, it is worth more than, than everything in that, that farmer's house. So um, th- that's the one thing. And the other thing is why are there almost, al- almost always more than five attackers? Uh, you don't need five attackers for a robbery. Um, so, And why do the, these people then testify later in court? Almost none of them say, no, they were there to rob the house. Almost all of them have these stories of them laughing in court and saying, oh, they hate white people and whatever. Uh, I wonder what this guy who attacked the Indian couple last night would say. Uh, probably something similar, but... Um, one thing that we can always hear about is the is the land issue, and everyone's just saying that they are treated unequally because they don't have the land, and it's because the politicians tell that to them all the time, and um, that's why they 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 do what they do. Uh, I mean, you, you can't really you can you can say no, the statistics or say this and that and whatever, but when the people themselves start to testify that that's the reason why they do it, why on earth would you then try to bring in another reason? Yeah, no, I mean those are good points, and I mean I haven't done you know much research into the court um, process, and I haven't read the files. I mean, I think you know based on based on that, you probably have far more evidence than I have. Um, of what is going on here. Um, 
Do you think there's a, I mean, it's always come down to the white genocide sort of narrative. Um, do you think there is a white genocide going on? I don't really know, actually, because I'm not very knowledgeable in what a genocide is. I know a lot of people like Steve Hoffmeyer would immediately say yes and so forth. Um, but if you look at there was about 1,200 murders on, on white farmers specifically. Uh, so um, so um, if you'd say so, it's a sorry, genocide... In, 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 sorry, in what, which time period? 1,200? Um, since since the first election in ninety four. Okay. So um, yeah, where was I? So I don't. I'm not really sure what a genocide is, and I don't really have the knowledge to know what uh, what do you call it? Uh, what uh, bells? What's bells in English? Um, what the definition, perhaps? Yeah, no, it's not a definition. Like, I'm not sure what's, let's say, what percentage of a population needs to be needs to be killed out when it becomes a genocide. So, so the only answer I can give you is I don't know. Right. Um, the fact that these attacks are racial are clear to me, but, but yeah, it's not necessarily. Yeah. All right. I mean, there's no state. I mean, would you argue that there is state planning to these attacks? Do you think there is like a, a shadowy figures coordinating these attacks or is it opportunistic? I have tried to do any res uh, research into that, but I have not found any evidence. Uh, I know that Katie Hopkins claims that she's got evidence that it is um, done by the state. I know Gavin McInnes claims, Gavin McInnes claims the same. I also know that Adams Roots is writing a book which will be out in the next month or so in which he says that he exposes the state uh, um, and how they orchestrate these attacks. So... As I said, I, I don't know yet. The moment I, I get a hold of Adams' book, I will read it, definitely. And we'll see how he exposes the state in it. But so far, I don't know. I must admit, I do quite appreciate the fact that you say you don't know. That, that's very rare for people to say that. <laughs> so, I mean, kudos. I mean, it's not, it's not special, but uh, it, it's quite rare. So it, is, it seems quite special to me. When you're saying that, I mean, I know Adams uh, quite well, in fact. So I will also be reading that book. So, what, if anything, can be done to prevent farm murders? Because here's the thing: I know a few farmers, very anecdotally, and some have quite a laissez-faire attitude. It's like you know, as as God giveth, so will God taketh away, and it's all part of a you know a divine plan from above. Um, <clears throat> they still think perhaps the state can protect them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and all that is to me is is incredibly romantic, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, I mean, do you think the state has any role to play in, in providing protection? Well, I I think if they didn't defund the commando system like they did, uh, I think Tabu Mbeki announced the the defunding and the um yeah of the commando system in the year two thousand. I think farm murders would have been much less because uh, I think I should just explain what the commander system is quickly. Uh, it's basically a volunteer system that links with the, both the police and the army in which volunteers actually go out and patrol areas, especially rural areas, but some urban areas as well, to try and prevent crimes like these from happening. 
And after the commando system was disbanded and defunded by the state, because it was always a state-funded um, enterprise, um, then we we could see in the statistics how the farm murders increased because suddenly it became a lot easier for farm attacks to happen as police in these rural areas, there are usually three or four policemen in the whole uh, town and they are can impossibly not protect all the farmers in, in let's say, an area of 50 to 60 square kilometers. Yeah. So um, that was a very good system that helped a lot. And somehow all these people who try to bring back some kind of commando system gets a lot of antagonism from the state. Which I I could uh, I would guess is probably in in some way justified. If I look at Buraligiun or Commando Corps, for example, um, they are very militaristic, and the leaders there are usually people from the special forces or the old days and so on, and tra- and they're training young kids and so forth to basically be soldiers. I know Commando Commando Corps claims they train about a thousand a year, and it is. Maybe um, it is uh, justifiable for the state to be afraid of this because uh, if you say you train a thousand boys a year, then in basically 30 years, you, you have a better trained and bigger army than the state has. Sure. So, so maybe they, they could be afraid of that because I, I know that our army has basically gone to shit. The standards yeah. have dropped. There's nothing there. So um, I... I've actually talked to some military experts, some of those guys who were ex-special forces, and they told me that if a country like China would attack South Africa, it would take less than an hour to completely conquer the whole country because our army, there's nothing left of it. So maybe the state are afraid of of these people, but I I believe, and I've talked to all of them, I believe their intentions are pure, and it's just to protect their own. It's not because they want to over, over, overthrow the state. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. You're talking about the, 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 the private militias, so to speak, who are training yeah, yeah. people. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the solution is, you know, self-organization. At the end, Definitely. farmers in a community must set up some, some, some networks, uh, must volunteer to patrol. I mean, I grew up on a farm. Okay, it wasn't big. It was 10 hectares. But I, we were surrounded by... Thousand hectare farms uh, in the south of Joburg, yeah. And I remember as a kid, I was eight, nine. I used to go to school during the day, and then at night, between the hours of eight and two in the morning, we used to go patrolling, you know, with uh, with shotguns and and rifles. It was a lot. It was a lot of fun. We didn't catch anyone. Um, I don't know what I would what I would have done if we did. But um, I mean, that's what we did. And there was a, a two way radio system between the the farms in the neighboring area. Every day at eight p.m. you you logged you logged in your your call or whatever it was and uh, it worked really well that was a very safe community until about 2001 we were attacked three times on the mm. same farm um and then i mean my sisters were were small i was i was still in high school so we had to leave for the city it's uh, quite due, funny. To, due to it being unsafe it's quite funny that you mentioned 2001 because that was exactly the year after Tabu Mbeki disbanded the commando system. And I think probably uh, what you talked about, the patrolling and the radio network and so, and those things were probably probably linked with the commando system. So, yeah. Uh, maybe so. I mean, I don't know how it worked. I just remember having a, a radio and, and we had designated mm-hmm. days of the week to go out patrolling. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and back then it was, well, to me it was very effective. We never got attacked. We lived there for 15 years and we only got attacked in the last year that we were, we lived there, which was 2001. Um, mm. so yeah, if it's linked to that, you make a strong point for something like that to come back. But that can come back without the state, of course. It's just the, the funding the is very difficult to get without the state. Well, I don't know. I mean, every forum's got like 200,000 members. They they get funding done correctly. Solidarity also has, you know, hundreds of thousands of members. AfriSaka as well. I mean, all these, I mean, with respect to Afrikaners, you guys can really organize things very well already without the state. I don't see why this would be different. I think people make a bit of a mistake when they say that AfriForum and Solidarität has so much money because they don't understand it how much money they actually spend on, on all of their charities like Alpenant and those things. And, no, no, no. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're rich and bloated. I'm just saying they are able to have a large amount of people contributing monthly or whatever it is to causes. So I don't see why this particular cause would be different or more difficult than any of the other causes. The other things that makes it more difficult is the fact that the state also made it illegal to have your own radio network, your own private radio network, if it is bigger than a certain uh, size. I'm not, I, I can't tell you the exact science and the exact size that is the legal limit, but it basically means if you are on an hunting farm and you have about five radios and you talk to each other just to make sure you don't shoot each other while hunting, that's fine. But the moment it gets bigger, it's, it becomes illegal in the first place. And then the second thing is the, the gun laws that were also introduced quite funnily in, in 2000 and then implemented in 2002 uh, made it a lot more difficult for, for people to get guns and especially the commando system, people who were part of it. Um, <clears throat> could much easier apply for licenses for guns. So, and when they took that away, obviously they took away those privileges as well. So nowadays it's extremely difficult to get a, a, a gun for self-defense. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I just went through the process. It took me a year. Yeah, I mean, it takes you a year. And... It took me a year. I got it, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, I got it a few days ago. And I, I, bought, really? it in May. I bought it in May 2017. Yeah, well, no, I know, I know, I know the frustration, but I mean, I don't think it is more difficult than, than whatever else has been happening without state intervention. That's all. I, I think, I think there is a good case to be made that farmers and people representing them should stop petitioning the state to help because the state doesn't care. Firstly, number mm -hmm. two, it doesn't have the resources. Number three, it can't keep the lights on. Right. I mean, it can't even, it's got a monopoly on electrical power and it can't even do that properly. So what makes you think it will do the commando system correctly or whatever other system they want to implement? Well, they did the commando system correctly for more than a hundred years. So why, why can't they do it now anymore? Well, because have you seen, <clears throat> excuse me, have you seen the state of the ANC recently? The ruling party, they can't even keep themselves together, let alone uh, any functioning, um, entity that they own the so, thing is just, just from the united states they get 6.1 billion dollars so they can they can use some of that to to protect the farmers i think many of the guys that i know that, that are lobbying in washington dc at this very moment 
are saying to the United States they should either, they should tell the state to either pull that money out or they should tell them to use it for for protection for farmers, which I think is very very good that that is actually happening right now. And um, yeah, if you say the state is in a bad state right now. I know they are talking about sanctions in in Australia against South Africa. I know specifically uh, Mr. Joseph Kane, who is a representative of Texas and also the head, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, is told me he, he, they are they already submitted a um, motion to the to the Republican National uh, Conference for for them to start lobbying for sanctions against South Africa so in one way that is very positive because that might may bring changes but in the other way when those sanctions kick in i think we are we are in big trouble yeah i mean i have a bit of a difficulty because i mean let's be honest Willem, 20,000 people get murdered a year here right yeah um last year there were 74 farm murders according to afri forum and 138 attacks i believe somewhere around there no 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 it's just about 638 attacks oh sorry was it 638 attacks okay i'll, yeah. I'll take that at face value last year <clears throat> there's twenty thousand murders a year crime is one of the biggest issues that no one really talks about anymore in this country especially the media i don't know whether they are you know they're just oblivious or they're just, uh, you know, the Guptas are far more interesting than, you know, people dying. Why do you think, I don't know if you, I don't know if you do think this, but do you think farm murders need to take precedence over other crime? I'm not saying take precedence in terms of resources. I'm taking just in terms of communicating that to the exterior world because, well, I've heard that argument more times than I can remember. And I think we wouldn't have been so successful out there in the world if we were not right about this. Uh, Usually, I I don't understand why people make that argument because that, I I don't know how they understand per capita then. Because if you look at the national rate of murders, it's about 31. And if you look at the rate of farm murders, just this year, the, the, the first three months, if you take the first three months of this year's data, it's more than 221. And that's three times the rate of uh, American sh- soldiers being killed in the Middle East, for example. And yeah. it is about oh, um, it's about uh, seven times the rate of, of South Africa and four times the rate of policemen in South Africa. So we take these statistics to people overseas. I know I've, I'm, I'm really talking a lot to Anne Coulter, and uh, she, she's also quite a big, uh, I think I can call her a friend, because we've talked a lot, and she's an ally of our cause. And if I didn't have the statistics, and if the statistics didn't make a lot of sense, I mean, people overseas would have obviously ignored us if, if we started, we can almost say bitching about being killed if if it wasn't this uh, if it didn't have this magnitude of a of a um, yeah. problem. Yeah, because I mean, that's my argument. I think I think the fact that it's happening. I think the facts, as much as we can call them facts, the the the, the data per capita, the murders per capita, are bad enough. We don't need a white genocide narrative to amplify that. I think the facts on the ground are already terrible. I think the individual torture cases are already terrible as it is. I'm just wondering why this 
has resonated so much as opposed to, say, for example, attacks against gays and lesbians, right, in, in townships. That, that used to be big news a few years ago. Now I see it as largely disappeared, but the problem hasn't disappeared. So I'm just wondering why this has resonated so much. And uncomfortably, perhaps, it's got something to do with race. I don't really know. Uh, I'm not. I don't have enough knowledge about this. These attacks against gays to say anything about it. But one thing that I can say is like, let's look at Kaya for example. There's a lot of murders and attacks in there, and then usually they are gang related, and usually they the motive is also pro- initiation of the gang or stuff like that. And also when the people get caught out, well. When, not when, if, if they get caught out, because it doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I, I've I've read some of these statistics, and I and I see that less less than nine, than ten percent of the people who commit, commit murder in this country ever get incarcerated for it. So, if they get caught out, mostly these people in the townships uh, will say, "Oh, it's gang related, or it was a robbery, or whatever." And also, usually, it's not it's not a racial attack. Then usually, it's, if it's Kailicha, it's colors killing colors. If it's Suwetu, it's blacks killing blacks, and so forth. But the moment we we start looking at the statistics, and these statistics are well documented by the Transvaal Agricultural Union, I have not heard yet of a single farm attack that was not carried out by black people. And uh, let me just pull up the statistics here quickly. Sure. Um. Yeah, last year there were two non-white farmers killed, and the rest were all white. So, and also last year, all of the farm attacks, all of the 600-plus farm attacks, were carried out by blacks. So, when these lines are so clear that it is a hundred percent blacks who committed, then suddenly all the ambiguity of not it not being racial attacks goes goes down i mean africa check and the da and the anc and the eff will all claim otherwise but their arguments are extremely weak and when you go to talk to people in uh, in belgium is also a very big one uh, i have contacts there and and i talk to the people there i present them with both arguments because because it would be hypocritical of me to to just give them the one argument and then they decide for themselves. I mean, also I talked to Ann Coulter and I told her about the things happening here and, and she's also presented with both arguments and then she, she made her own um, what do you call it? Offladings. Uh, conclusion. She made her own conclusion and I don't know if you saw her whole speech at the at the Breitbart Town Hall. I know more than 7 million people watched it but she said there, the, she said it's a genocide. Now, I never said I never said genocide. I would not go so far to say that. I mean, just what would happen to me uh, in South Africa if I go so far to say it is would be unthinkable. But when people from from overseas, when people who look at this objectively see the data, they make the conclusion that it is a genocide oh, and see. go so far to say that. Okay, and yeah, I think. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to say, and I think also bigger organizations like Afriforum, Tukomsfong, all of the Afrikaner organizations, I don't know any of those big organizations who, who, who use the term genocide. All they do is present the facts, and then the people overseas, the senator from, from Australia, Fraser Anning, calls it a genocide. The people overseas make their own conclusions, and then they call it a genocide. 
But now we here in South Africa as Afrikaners are being accused by the DA, being accused by the ANC, being accused by all these people that we try to push this white, white genocide narrative, which is completely untrue because all of us just present the facts to the people overseas and then they, some of them call it a genocide, others just say it's a very big problem. But yeah, as you said, most, most of these people overseas call it a genocide. And that's that's actually quite a good point. Uh, one that I didn't really think about. I mean, that's true. I mean, a perspective from the international community is actually quite helpful here. Um, mm. When you do present facts and they drop their own conclusions, rightly or wrongly, but it's important to know what their conclusions are at the end of the day. I do think, however, in South Africa, if this murder rate was on journalists or on any other group, maybe not any other, but most other groups, if it was on, you know, say journalists or politicians or anyone else, I think there would be a massive scandal. I think it would be a major problem for most people. But for farmers, there's all sorts of excuses. I mean, it's normal crime. That's the ANC line. Um, And I mean, there was Black Monday and you saw journalists, you know, put up fake pictures of people with the old South African flag. And members of the EFF, you know, initiated that and have never apologized to this day <clears throat> for that. Nicholas Bauer put some up and he apologized after the fact. So I think, I think there is a lot of sweeping under the rug about yeah, what's happening. Yeah. Whether that is intentional, whether that is a lack of care or whether that is, I don't know, uh, psychopathy, um, is up for debate. But, I mean, I think it is important to note, if this was any other group of people, I think there would be far more action taken. No, definitely. One thing that I can say about the media here in South Africa is they are absolutely horrible. I mean, you you read about the scandals of the media almost every day. The last one that I can think of is uh, the Mail and Guardian who published when uh, old Judge Leon died. They said, um, yeah... Uh, he was the what, what ANC leader did they say he was the one that sentenced him to death Mashlangu uh, Solomon Mashlangu Sol, yeah Solomon Mashlangu first they published now he sentenced him to death which was a lie and then later they published now he was the one who rejected his appeal which was also a lie and I mean we, we can talk about the Huffington Post we can talk about the Mail and Garden we can talk about the Times Live all of them had so much so many of these scandals that if they were uh, an overseas-based news corporation, they would have also almost been closed down if if you look at that. I mean, just just think about America, for example, if Fox and Friends were to go out and make a statement like the one about Judge Leon, I think they would be closed. That they they would, it would be a massive scandal, and and people would stop trusting them completely, and so forth. Because we know you you get biased news, and then you can get just falsified facts. And when the Mail and Guardian publish those fa- falsified facts they that remains damage to the leon family i mean the, yeah. i know they got death threats and people wanted to burn down their property and so forth and all of that based on a lie so then especially and then, if, we, and then if they, you talk to a yeah and sorry the, and then the excuse is that oh we didn't follow our processes we'll just tighten them up exactly yeah. and i think if if especially if you talk to an international audience an American audience, for example, and you tell them, just imagine Fox and Friends doing something like that. It it gives them a lot of perspective because they know what would happen if one of their news networks would be so sloppy. 
if it is sloppy, if it's not just pushing an, an agenda. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think many people have faith in local media, if I'm really honest with you. I know a few very good journalists, and funny enough, a lot of them are Afrikaans. Um, I'm not going to mention them by name. Yeah, mate, they don't want to be associated with me, which is fine. But they, they, the Afrikaans, Afrikaans media seems to be relatively good. I mean, I don't read it personally because I don't read Afrikaans as a, as a mother tongue, but that appears to be very good. There's very few scandals in Afrikaans media. And I see there's quite a lot of independent Afrikaans media as well. Definitely. Oh, and they are quite good. I mean, probably <laughs> it's quite funny. Marula media, which is, which is controlled by Solidaritat. Is probably the best media stores out there that we know of today. They, they, I know they have had zero scandals up until this day. They have zero uh, reports of anything that they reported that were false. So, yeah, many yeah, people will say they're biased, and it's probably true. They're probably a bit conservatively biased, but still, they don't report lies. And then you get the the English or the Mail and Guardian and so forth, and the Huffington Post, South Africa, and all of them publish lies on a on almost a yearly basis yeah okay well i'm not going to say how many times they lie but but there is certainly a bias mm. and, and and it's fine for media to have bias um as long as they're relatively open about it uh, which Definitely. they're not unfortunately for some reason in this country we believe that objectivity still exists which it never, <laughs> it never has i mean in every developed country in the world you've got the left and the right media Definitely. If, you, yeah. if you're clever you read both and make up your own mind here it's center left and radical left and then you got a few of, you know, a smattering of Afrikaans media on the, on the center right side. But that's unfortunately a lot of people don't read in Afrikaans. Mm. Well, at least those in the chattering classes on Twitter, that is. Well, I would say Network 24 is, is very left wing though. So it's not like all of these Afrikaans media are right wing. Network 24 is definitely very, very left leaning. Then you've got Marula Media and some of these independent guys on the right. But yeah, as you said, um, Mostly in developed countries, you would get your your left wing source and your right wing source, and you can read both. Uh, like in the UK, for example, the Guardian would probably be your most left wing source, and then the Telegram would probably probably one of your best right wing sources, which are both excellent papers. I read both of them every day as much as I can, yeah. and it's good to do that. But I think, <laughs> yeah, as you said, the media needs to needs to have the bias. But one thing that I want to point out is um, with this media bias, people are pandering to a market and they want to they want to publish what their readers want to read. And I think there's not really a market in English in South Africa for right-wing news. I, I think especially um, the black population wants to hear all these left-wing stories and that's what they will buy. I think the English people, English white people in South Africa are... are you, mostly the the left wing of the white population, so they want to read these left wing sources. So, what reason would there be for an for an English newspaper in South Africa to 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 actually look at things from a conservative standpoint? Well, I mean, because it won't be, sell. I mean, I think you'll be surprised that the best selling newspaper in South Africa is the Sun, the Daily Sun, rather. And I don't know if you ever actually read an edition of the Daily Sun. It's quite fascinating. So they've got these weird stories about, you know, the Tokolor Storma goat and, and those sort of things. Mm. And all those headlines are quotes from the people on the ground. But if you actually read the Daily Sun, it shows you 
how to register a business correctly. It shows you what you need to, to get your license or it has adverts for entry level jobs in different areas. Oh, really? And, and a lot of the political commentary in that, a lot of the editorial is very, very hard hitting common sense type of editorial. Uh, it mm. calls out bullshit wherever it sees it. It's a very fascinating paper. People disregard it immensely, but it, it's the best selling newspaper by far. They sell two million copies a day as opposed to <clears throat> business day sells like 40,000 or something, which is nothing, right? These people sell two and a half million. I never really read it because I always had the view of the Daily Sun as this tabloid newspaper type oh, it of is. thing. Oh, that it is. is. It is to a large degree. But read the yeah. editorials. Read the mm. read the classifieds. It's it's actually very good as as a purveyor of information. It's actually very very useful. Mm. Um, so and, and it's very popular for that reason. But I, I mean, I think you'll be surprised how many so-called right-wingers there are in South Africa uh, amongst all races, to be mm. fair. I mean, based on the data I've seen, most people seem to be small-C conservatives. Um, economics matter. You know, um, mm. they want education, food on the table, jobs, and security, which is absolutely normal for anyone, you know, for any citizens in any country. Mm. And land reform is way below. It's like 2% of the people say land reform is important. Definitely. Um, and the only reason why they vote ANC is because they think ANC is the best way to get the upside. So my argument is... <clears throat> How do you mean the ANC is the best way to get upside? Well, first of all, they've got political power, right? And and the propaganda from the ANC about liberation is very, very strong. It, it, it's fading away quickly, but it's still very strong. People still believe the ANC liberated the country. Obviously, it's a bit more complicated than that. But if the ANC does do service delivery, and they actually do it quite well. I mean, we don't see it in the cities and the towns, but go to rural areas, you see if there's one clinic or one road built, there's a massive upside to that community. Mm. The downside is the status quo, so there's no real downside. So if there's one clinic built, it's a massive upside, no matter how bad that clinic is. And then you get service delivery protests after, way after the fact, when, when the, you know, the service is not... Um, as consistent as it once was. So if you look at the three big political parties, the ANC is the best one for most people who don't have anything. Yeah, maybe because they have these communist policies, but I would not agree with you that their service delivery is good, especially in in the black communities who vote for them. Because, I mean, if you just look at the schooling system, everyone is always saying how bad the Bantu education system was, but it was a million times better than objectively than the schooling system is right now in the black communities. Uh, so I don't see how anyone would say that their service delivery is good if, if, if what was, I'm not sure what the statistics was, but it was about 60% of 11-year-olds that are functionally illiterate in South Africa. And that's probably the worst numbers we ever had. <laughs> Uh, there's a big difference between, yeah, there's a big difference between, between building the actual school and then running it, right? Just the fact that the school is built has a lot of goodwill in that community. Just the fact that there's a road ensures that there's a lot of goodwill. But in, after 1960, the fact, it all, in 1960, all the kids already went to school in South Africa. And that was in 1960. So these schools were already built. Why, so why would the, they just run the schools that were already built into, into the ground, basically? 
Yeah, I mean, they're no good at they're no good at management. That's for sure. But I mean, they have built hundreds of schools since 1994, right? I mean, that we can agree on. They have yeah. built millions of homes. They literally built 2.5 million homes, something like that. The mm. most homes built by any government ever. We can argue whether they should be building homes, but that's something. Um, during Tamil Becky's era, for every shack erected, 10 RDP houses were built. So there's a myth going on that ANC are terrible at everything, and they are to a large degree at most things. But for service delivery at the at the very bottom, they actually they were quite good. I don't know now. Mm. Actually, we, we can talk about RDP houses for hours because uh, I've actually did a, st- a study about it. I've read some things written by Mr. Benny von Seil, who is the head of the Transvaal Agricultural Union, who said that the whole RDP scheme was just to make people more, like what's the word, dependent on the state. Because what he said is he talked to um, to Zuma and both to Tabu and Becky before him, and he, he told them, and he said to them, if you're going to build RDP houses for the people, at least give those people ownership of these houses. Because now they build all these RDP houses and they keep it for themselves. They keep it in their own. Um, right. They give leaseholds, not They title. give leaseholds all the time. And that, and if you if you look deeply into that, it, it just uh, puts the people worse off than they were before it. And then these people say, or, or he said, then the, the government told him, yeah, but if we're going to give them the title for the RDP house, all they're going to do is they're going to sell it and go back to the back to the um, townships or the squatter camps. And then he said, well, that's better than you just keeping it. Even if they do sell it, at least then they, they've, they put money into the economy. They're growing the economy and they have more money if they, and if they wish to, if to sell the RDP house for, let's say, 200,000 rands and they go and they buy a second hand Mercedes Benz with it, at least they, they, um, putting money into the economy. But now you're just stagnating the economy and you're making the people more dependent on the state. Well, I mean, that's the point. Um, that always has been the point. I mean, that's, that's the essence of, of socialism. In a way, yeah. that's how you control people. You, you, you ensure that you give them the basics, but you don't allow them to have agency and you don't allow them mm. to, to use those, uh, things that you give them as capital or as security. Um, but this has been very well documented for, for decades uh, since the AC has been mm. in power. <clears throat> the ANC is not interested in, in, in radical reform. They're not interested in empowering the poorest people in Definitely. South Africa. It's a, it's a top-down, crony, mafia state that we live in mm. for the past, uh, whatever, 80 years, in essence. We've been living in one-party state for, for decades and decades and decades. And it's going to yeah, take... Since 1948, right, basically. Right, and it's going to take a lot of... Um, <clears throat> How can I explain? And we need to break that to have, we need to break that hegemony, that, that ideological hegemony that we have in this country. Mm-hmm. And that can only happen once we are not a one party state. So when coalitions well, I, come about I, I and things would, like that. I basically wouldn't mind a one party state as long as the, <sighs> the state is efficient. I mean, you can say what you want about the old national party, but on economics, they were absolutely brilliant. Oh, no. They were were absolutely shit. What are you talking about? 
No, the, just just look at when the when the National Party took over from the South African Party on economics, how the country boomed in, in after 1948 economically. I mean, we had a we had a growth of some of those years. The growth reached almost 30 <laughs> percent, and I don't know how how you how you define good or bad, but 30 percent growth in one year in an, in an entire country's economy is really big. Yeah, sure, but for and how then long? we've. It doesn't matter where it starts. It matters where it ends, and it ends with uh, it ended with uh, junk status and, and inflation of twenty one percent. It was socialism one hundred and one. Hugo Chavez also started off really well. The first five six years were brilliant, and then the oil price fell. When and was the inflation of twenty one percent? I don't remember any of that. Oh, late, I don't late eighties, late eighties, early nineties, or was, yeah, it, well, was that, it the early eighties? I can't remember. Um, but, well, that's when the when the sanctions started. So, of course, the country will do worse when 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 sanctions are being put yeah, in yeah, place. Yeah, sure. But, against it was, but it was a, a national socialistic state. Uh, yes, it will boom for it the first decade. Was never socialist or two. though. It was socialism for black people. I have a, I've had a lot of for white people. I've, I've read up a lot about it. Volkskapitalisme was the economic uh, model, and that was actually more capitalistic than America is today. So if you call that socialism, then I don't know what capitalism is. Then I think Stefan Molyneux's view of capitalism is the only view of capitalism valid. Then well, that, that's capitalism, is, capitalism, no capitalism is free trade between people, right? Uh, when you have a banana board and when you have um, when you have to buy local and when you um, <clears throat> are cut off from access from international markets and you have high high exports. Um, duties and, and high import duties and things like that. Of course, that will fail in the long run. You're not doing international trade, which is the, you know, the, the, the blood of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it was always doomed to fail. It always was. No matter how good it started off, it was always doomed to fail. And especially when you, when you lock out 80% of the country or the population rather from economic transactions in a meaningful way, of course it will, but it, it will never last. And as proven, right? Apartheid fell because it wasn't economically viable. Mm. Maybe, yeah. I would say it was because of the sanctions, but uh, yeah, sanctions uh, are one. Yeah, sanctions are one part of it. Sure. I mean, we can agree or disagree on that, but probably apart- we we probably will never know what would have happened if it wasn't for the sanctions on an on an economic viewpoint. So. Um, I I don't think you can say that the country would have failed if it wasn't for them. Well, it depends. I mean, funny, funny how that uh, you know once <clears throat> once democracy took over, our GDP went up. You know, growth under Mbeki was five percent on consecutive years. Um, is that good compared to the National Party? I don't know. I think so. I don't know because that was exa- that was right after the sanctions was lifted, and of course, then people reinvested just after the sanctions were were lifted. And one thing that you that you don't didn't mention about the Mbeki regime was that Mbeki actually sold off so many states. Uh, bought this, what's that called in English? Um, no, I don't know. Uh, well, whatever, whatever bought this is called in English. What, uh, state you know, companies? What? What's the, what's the opposite of liability? Oh, um, credits? Debts? No, li- the opposite of liabilities, it's like you could bought this and lost the liabilities and... Uh, Oh, I can't think of the English word. Assets. 
assets. Yeah, Mbeki actually sold off many state assets and that also contributed to, to economic growth. But you can only sell off so many state assets before you run out of state assets to, to sell off. Well, firstly, and, the state shouldn't own any, in my opinion. And secondly, okay. I mean, think about it. I mean, I forgot what I wanted to say, to be fair. All right, now well, I forgot. Well, don't worry. We'll, we'll edit this to make it a lot shorter. All right, where were we? Um, uh, why don't we talk a bit about expropriation without compensation? I think that's a topic that we need to address. Oh, sure. No, we can do that. Um, so, <coughs> for the listeners, the ANC has, uh, well, the EFA pr- proposed a motion for expropriation of land without compensation. The ANC agreed. Um, the DA thankfully did not. And it just seems like a, a massive power grab, uh, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I studied law. Uh, you know, Section 25 of the Constitution does allow for expropriation with very minimal compensation, depending on various factors. Um, so, Willem, so to someone like you, as a farmer, I mean, no doubt you're not happy about this. Mm. I think... Much of the attention that we that we see from the international community right now is probably because of uh, of the expropriation without compensation when that made the news because that actually made the news internationally and then it, it suddenly put everyone's view on South Africa and I think that's why we we got so much attention here. But I want to what I wanted to say about that is the ANC when they when they announced it they gave a certain um was that in english Ex- expectation in to the people's minds that th- those people are going to get land and that's probably the most false expectation you can give those pe- uh, you can give those people because the state wants to grab the land basically for themselves and they want to they want to control all of the land by themselves and all of the land will then belong to the state and th- those the people don't understand it. The people think, no, that they are going to get the land, but nobody's going to get anything. Nobody's going to get any land. People are just going to lose land. Uh, yeah, especially when the stats show that <clears throat> in terms of households, you know, black people own more households or more, more houses than, than mm. any other race. And a lot of them are debt-free up to, I think it's 84%. Of black households yeah. are debt free, so they have full ownership, as opposed to only about five percent of white ownership. Right, of white mm. houses have no debt. So, I mean, if in the, I mean, if you if if this was in any way meant to help, as Cyril says, our people, which I don't know what that means. Apparently, it means South Africans, but more specifically, black South Africans. Uh, they got the most to lose from voters. this, but they got the most to lose from this. I mean, imagine having no property rights. For, Definitely. For, for, for 40, 50 years and you get property rights and you exercise them and now they want and to then, be taken away from you again. No, definitely. I think you, you're right about that. Another thing that we need to say is, uh, especially in Wetaville where most of the grain farmers are, usually that farmer has more debt on the, on the farm than, than the farm is worth. Like, especially when he when he just planted when a wheat farmer just planted his wheat then the wheat on that farm or the corn or the maize or whatever whatever he he planted his crop is worth more than the farm is worth so those people borrow money to buy seed to plant let's say maize and then 
they they borrow the money so that they can plant the maize and then while the maize is growing the depth they have it might might be uh, more than the farm is worth and then after the the grain have been harvested and they sold it then they make a very big profit and then they can pay off the debt and they debt free again until the next year when they buy seeds again yeah. so how will the, will this work if the state expropriates the lands i think the the the, ba- the banks will go bankrupt uh, because those farmers even if the bank then f- try to force them to pay back the money that they borrowed they can't because the, that farmer won't have any source of income i think grain farming is probably the the highest um one of the highest uh spending for gaining uh businesses that they are you have to spend a very big amount of money before yeah. you plant before you can make any money yeah, I mean, I mean, let's not let's not beat around the bush. Expropriation by compensation in the way that e, the EFF want is just the Soviet Union 101. Mm. It will destroy everything we have in this country, and the ANZ know that, and even the EFF know that. So, I do think it's a ploy for something or other. I think maybe they want to, they will try to expropriate some land. Um, I mean, if they wanted to give people property rights, they would have given them already, right? There's 10 million people who live in RDP houses. Give them each mm. a title deed. You increase the wealth of those individuals by two, 300,000 rand with mm. you know, a flick of a pen. If they wanted to do that, they could have done that, but they don't. So I have yeah, no doubt in my mind that this is a massive, massive power grab. And it's just bad news for, for literally everyone. I can't see an upside to this. And especially when the president says, oh, but it won't impact agriculture or industry or the economy. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> it's like wanting to have no children uh, by having a lot of sex. Like it just doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So, but thankfully they went through with it to some degree because the international community is taking a look and they're saying, this is not great. Mm. Yeah, I think I've I've heard this theory from a friend of mine. Uh, I think it's probably just a uh, a way for the ANC just to get back those votes that they lost to the EFF years ago, and then maybe after the election they would expropriate one or two farms, or maybe even fake farms that they pretend to expropriate, and that's going to be it. But if that is the case, it's going to lead to massive problems here because we already see almost on a weekly basis people that go on their own and try to <laughs> expropriate pieces of land on their own and when that happens and the ANC just abruptly stops doing it if they do it we're going to see all over the country millions of people probably just going up to to pieces of land that has been expropriated I've heard from friends of mine at AfriForum that some of those expropriations that took place there in Eastland on the east of Pretoria uh, was actually people who lived in RDP houses and then they wanted to come and expropriate land there to, to set up shacks. Um, maybe it's because it's, it's closer to work for them, but they would rather go, go live in a shack there on, on the property close to work than they would in an RDP house 20 kilometers away. So yeah, I think we're going to... We're going to see all the people from Soweto, Mamalodi, all these places which is around the cities go into the city and want to expropriate land inside the city. And I don't think it's going to be um, 
on the farms really because if we look at the statistics all these people that don't want farmland they want urban land sure uh, so it makes they sense, go- right it makes perfect sense it just shows the absurdity of of of, of leaseholds and not title deeds because mm. you, say you're given an rdp house and you live in it you could change jobs right you could change schools for your kids you could there's a million reasons mm. why you wouldn't want to stay in the same spot till you die exactly <laughs> it's, it's not rocket science but because you have a leasehold you can't sell it uh, you can't move out you can't rent it out so you're stuck there mm. so you have to make do with it and you so you have to travel an hour to work and you must send your kids to school somewhere else and you can never move because you've got no capital you've got no wealth it's it's an absurd absurd notion it's a it's a form of slavery in my mind no um, it's almost as if the ANC wants to keep the people down by giving them RDP houses well yeah yeah well you give a little bit and then uh, so you give a bit of hope and then yeah. that's it and you, you try and make sure that that hope lives on you know for eternity until that person dies and you can give his sons and, and his daughters RDP houses as well yeah yeah <clears throat> so yeah but i mean if if we wanted uh if we wanted to alleviate poverty we could have done so many times over uh, just by giving property rights but mm. but we don't well we don't the ANC doesn't um <clears throat> and you see people who are academics who, who approve of this right you say well you know they'll just sell for example when there's a land reform and they buy a farm and um, <clears throat> the farm fails because there's no support, there's no expertise. And of course it fails because farming is a science. It's really, really difficult to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, give me a farm, I'll destroy it in two days. I don't know what to do. Imagine mm-hmm. imagine you get, okay, you're a farmer. But imagine you get given a factory that does something. You won't know what to mm-hmm. do. So exactly. I people, think that's also the notion that gets uh, by the EFF. They all say, yo, all these people have been working the farms all their lives and the farmer has just sat on his porch and done nothing so they are actually the ones who, who know how to run the farm yeah, but then i, I want to talk about a friend of mine who farms in Dal, probably one of the biggest uh, exporters of citrus in the country and the, they employ well in the past they employed more than 2,000 people to pick the oranges so just because you know how to pick the oranges and you have been picking oranges for 17 years doesn't mean you know the soil science, it doesn't mean you know how much water to give to the trees. It doesn't mean you, you know your plant pathology. You can you can walk through a, a what's a word in English? Um, orchard. Yeah, you can walk through the, through the orchard and look at the trees, look at the leaves and see what is wrong with them if they don't perform. It doesn't mean you know economics. It doesn't mean you know how to read the market and know when to sell and when to buy. All of these things. But... but the people who actually vote for the EFF and believe in all this, these lies, they believe that they actually know how to run the farm. That's that's actually the 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 funniest and and also the most scary thing. Like we've had incredibly bad or workers on the farm who who were really bad at their jobs, but I've actually talked to some some of them and asked them, "Do you think you can farm on your own?" And all of them say, "Yeah, we can." And those are the kinds of people who later get fired because they don't even know how to fix the wire. So yeah, that's I mean, the ex- expectation that gets given to them. 
Yeah, I mean that's quite common in most. I mean, you got you got something called the Dunning Kruger effect, right? Exactly. People, yeah. people don't know that they don't know, and that's widespread amongst all industries. Oh, believe me, I, my clients think they can do my job better than me, but they always hire me to do it. So exactly. Say, if you can yeah. if you can do my job, then do it. Why do you hire me all the time? And well, mm-hmm. they they keep hiring me. Uh, but but yeah, I mean it's a, it's a fundamental <clears throat> concept in economics called division of labor, mm. right? One person can't do everything. At the same time, that's why we hire domestic workers. That's why we hire employees. That's why mm. we hire drivers. That's why we have Uber drivers, right? I run a business. I don't have time to clean the bathrooms. Mm. I don't have time to cook, perhaps. I don't have time to, to answer every single phone call. So we mm. delegate those to other people. Same on a farm. You got someone to do marketing. You got someone to pick. You got someone to plant. You got someone to check the markets. Often the same person knows a little bit about everything. And that's the manager. Mm. And the manager's job is to make sure everything works correctly. But to assume that just because you, you know, plant and harvest that you know how to run a farm correctly. I mean, it's ridiculous. And anyone who says that that is all there is to farming is obviously not a farmer. Exactly, yeah, but that's the thing, that's what the EFF is trying to tell all of their supporters. Most of these farm workers are now EFF supporters because, well, I don't know, you, there's many reasons why you can give for it, for them becoming EFF supporters. But uh, they tell their supporters, they go to all these rallies and then they tell them, yeah, you guys are the ones that are, do the actual farming. That farmer just sits on his porch every day and you are the one doing the farming you just imagine when you take over the farm, how well you can do, etc. And I think I actually read the paper on the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, the psychologist who, who who did the study actually found that the the less uh, competent you are, the more competent you think you are, and the more competent you are, um, the the more likely you are to think other people are just as competent, even though they're not. So. Um, it is a linear thing. It it uh, it is I don't even know what the English word for it is. But what? when the inverse one goes down, the other one goes up. Yeah, uh, inverse. So yeah, um, I, I think it's very very sh- uh, sharp of you to to say that because uh, I think it it really applies yeah, especially in the in the farming sector. Uh, yeah, but unfortunately, I mean, we, we live in a, in a poor society and uh, you, gi- you give people a bit of hope and they will, you know, cling on to that and, and, and you can't blame them. Um, I mean, I, I've been poor. I've never been completely destitute by any means, but I know I sort of have a bit of empathy. And unfortunately, we need to call out the people at the top who are giving this, this hope that will never materialize. Yeah, and, certainly well. not in the, and certainly not in the way that satisfies the voter or the political leader or I, I i am still poor myself i mean most farm workers get more money than i have so <laughs> yeah 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 well i mean villain to be fair i really expected this to be a lot more antagonistic mm. but um i mean i can't think of anything that i disagree with you on you don't agree on a white genocide narrative you do think there's a racial aspect to farm murders, which, I mean, based on, on the knowledge that you have and the evidence that you have might be true. I don't know. So I'm just going to say I'm agnostic on that. But I do see that 
the victims and the perpetrators are of different races. So there's a, there might be a bit of a correlation or might be a strong one even. Um, <clears throat> what, I mean, as an Afrikaner, and I ask this about all Afrikaners these days, as an Afrikaner, like, what do you want in South Africa? Like, what are your goals? Well, basically my goals would just be to, to one day have a peaceful life, have a family and not worry about being killed and, and also have the same for my people and not being discriminated against. I, I, by the law, I don't want my kids to having to work 10 times as hard to get into medicine school than, than other kids just because of the color of their skins. 